The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, we're taking a closer look at the latest post-verdict developments in the case of the so-called doomsday cult mom, Lori Vallow Daybell. On May 12th, Lori was found guilty of all charges against her and the deaths of her two children, Tylee Ryan and J.J. Vallow, as well as the death of her husband's previous wife, Tammy Daybell. I'm joined by Chanley Painter as we unpack the final moments of her trial, the reaction of J.J.'s grandparents to the verdict, and what's next for Lori and her husband, Chad, who still awaits trial for his alleged role in these murders. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan. I'm Vinnie Politan. Great to have you with us. Thanks so much for downloading the Court TV Podcast. And I've been saying this since the first time I covered this story. I've never, ever covered a story like this at Court TV. It is, it, it is just unthinkable. It's, it, it's unimaginable what happened. And now uh, the jury has uh, told us a little bit more about exactly what happened. I'm talking about Lori Vallow Daybell, the so-called doomsday cult mom, and her husband, number five, the prophet Chad, the former gravedigger. Um, this story involving so many people who have died, people who have survived uh, attempts on their lives. It's, it's, it's incredibly layered. Um, but we're going to have an opportunity right now to talk about what we just experienced out in Boise, Idaho, which was the trial of Lori Vallow Daybell for the murders of her two children and her fifth husband's first wife, Tammy Daybell, Tylee Ryan, her daughter, and little J.J. Vallow, her son. So, to do this, we have to bring in the correspondent from Court TV, who's been covering this for years from the beginning, from going out to uh, Idaho uh, years ago, covering this when it was the investigation, and then finally an arrest and charges, and then was there uh, for the trial in Boise. Chanley Painter is with us. Uh, Chanley, um, I just want to get from you off the top here. If you had to describe what what happened in this story, in this case, in this incredible tragedy, um, how can you sum it up in just a few sentences? You start off with the toughest question. Uh, this is such a tangled web, Vinny. You know, the prosecution summed it up as money, power, and sex. I would have to agree, as I've covered this case over the last several years, hearing all the evidence in the trial, seeing Lori Vallow Daybell in person day after day, you know, I really believe this was all about her. She was selfish and greedy, and she was going to have what she wanted no matter the cost. And she was going to use whoever she could to get it. And I, I think you're, you're spot on there, because... As we as we experienced this trial and heard more evidence, because a lot of stuff was was held back for years that we didn't know, it became so clear that she was like she was pulling a lot of strings here. 
I don't want to say she was necessarily manipulating Chad, but she was using, I think, um, things that she had always used, which was the, the personality, the blue eyes, the blonde hair and all of that yes. uh, to help manipulate people, including her brother, including uh, uh, Chad to a certain extent, although there's some mutual stuff going on there. Uh, but I think you're spot on. Let's take a listen uh, to the closing argument from the state in the trial. And this is exactly the theme that they were talking about. Lori manipulated Alex Cox through religion. She manipulated Chad through emotional and sexual control. They manipulated their friends through this use of, of religion. Lori Vallow is telling Alex Cox what to do. In these messages, you never see Alex tell her what to do. He's telling her what to do. She's telling him what to do. Lori uses sex to manipulate Chad. And Chad seek confirmation from Lori repeatedly. Manipulation. That's what this was about. Lori able to manipulate people. And I'm wondering, uh, Chanley, as we go through her life as this manipulator, her brother, Chad, her friends. Um, but this is someone who also had a series of husbands. And it seemed like she was able to always land a new husband. And I'm wondering if this was just a continuation of all of that that she would manipulate people to, to yeah. you know, just get things that she wanted in life. I agree, Vinny. And you refer to her, you know, blonde hair, her blue eyes, her vivacious personality. I saw her in court every day with that same uh, demeanor. She's using it on the bailiffs. She's using it on her attorney. She's fluttering her eyes, uh, thinking she's a uh, Miss Personality there, smiling, laughing, chatting it up with them she still plays that role and it's just fascinating to watch now knowing what we know and you know would she have done the same thing to Chad Dabo once he ran out of money Vinny was it all about just getting money getting someone who agrees with this lifestyle goes along with it until they run out of that resource you know Charles Ballow killed she thought she was going to get a million dollars uh and and that seems to be the pattern and the prosecutors really did sum it up in that closing and making it really clear that this was about her the manipulator so cold so so cold now she had a defense at trial i don't know how vigorous it was because i think for this defense team a big part of the battle was won when they got the death penalty tossed from the case by the judge because of mistakes made by the prosecutor. But let's listen to what the defense said in their closing argument. Lori does not know what's in Chad's backyard. She knows her kids are missing. She knows that kids aren't with her. She knows that they're safe and happy, whatever that means, if that means People are dead if people are safe and happy if they're in heaven. But does she know that Chad and Alex stuffed her kids in Chad's backyard? The only thing that makes sense to me is that she didn't have a plan. She wanted to be with Chad. They were obviously having an affair. Chad told her all the time about dark and light things. But there was no plan by Lori to kill her kids or else she wouldn't have done that. This is interesting because the defense, you know, is now saying Chad is the one. Maybe Alex is the one who's manipulating her. Uh, the evidence sort of, uh, of pointed the other way. 
But this is a fascinating concept because he's going to be on trial as well, Chad Daybell. Now, Alex Cox won't be on trial because he died on the toilet after an episode, a health episode on the toilet. You know, that's still mysterious. But at the end of the day, for this trial, for the conviction of of Lori Daybell, uh, the defense is saying she was sort of a victim here. Right. She trusted Chad and Alex that when they said the kids were safe, uh, that they were safe. I don't know, as a mother of any, like, I mean, where are my kids? Where are they safe? (laughs) You know, to blame that she didn't know what was happening in the backyard of Chad Daybell's home. It just doesn't resonate with the jurors. You know, Jim Archibald, I think he did what he could with what he had. I mean, he stood in front of the jury during these closings and he tried to appeal to them. You could tell the jury liked him. He was he he humanized himself uh, in front of them. But uh, if you looked past him, you could see his client and and there were not nice looks towards her. And that's fascinating because sometimes when a when a lawyer has that type of personality in a courtroom, it can it can be persuasive on a jury. Uh, But here, I think everything else was just uh, way, way too overwhelming when you and, and you come back to that theme of she's the mother. Right. Chad Daybell was never, never the stepfather of these children because they did not get married until the children were dead and his wife was dead. And um, so he was never the stepfather. He had no connection. They are her children. She is the one responsible for them. And while they were gone, they were still collecting the money right from Social Security. So still using them as a source of revenue, but now without the expense of having to feed them and clothe them and and all the things that you have to do when you have children. So let's take a listen, because I like to listen to this because it's it's very reaffirming, to the verdicts. In the District Court of the 7th Judicial District of the State of Idaho, in a for the County of Fremont, State of Idaho plaintiff versus Lori Noreen Ballow, a.k.a. Lori Noreen Daybell, defendant, case number CR22, 211624. Verdict. We, the jury, duly impaneled and sworn to try the above entitled action for our verdict, unanimously answer the questions submitted to us as follows. Question number one. In regards to count one of the amended indictment, is Lori Noreen Ballow not guilty or guilty of conspiracy to commit first degree murder of Tylee Ryan and grand theft by deception? Answer, guilty. Question number two. In regards to count two of the amended indictment, is Lori Noreen Ballow not guilty or guilty of first-degree murder of Tylee Ryan? Answer, guilty. Question number three. In regards to count three of the amended indictment, is Lori Noreen Ballow not guilty or guilty of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder of Joshua Jackson Ballow? and grand theft by deception. Answer, guilty. Question number four. In regards to count four, the amended indictment, is Lori Noreen Ballow not guilty or guilty of first-degree murder of Joshua Jackson Ballow? Answer, guilty. Question number five. In regards to count five of the amended indictment, is Lori Noreen Vallow not guilty or guilty of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder of Tamara Tammy Daybell? Answer, guilty. Question number six. In regards to count seven of the amended indictment, 
Is Lori Noreen Vallow not guilty or guilty of grand theft? Answer, guilty. Dated this 12th day of May, 2023, signed by the presiding officer. So listening to that verdict, to me, as we sit here now, it's like, of course, of course it was there. But you never know what a jury is going to do. Uh, Chanley, what was your sense of the, the level of confidence or fear that was out there for the people? And, and it could be, you know, the prospects, the prosecution team, family members. What were the thoughts and the, and the fear about what could happen when it was time for this jury to speak? Well, you know, Vinny, like you did when you did my job, we sit in courtrooms every day. We have our eyes on the jurors every day, and I can kind of gauge what I believe they're thinking and feeling. I was confident based on my observations every day that we were going to see a conviction here. But as I would talk to the investigators behind the scenes or the family members behind the scenes, they had this doubt. They thought, are you sure? But, you know, it could always go this way or that way. Uh, so there was still this lingering question for those who worked years on this case for I'm sure even the prosecutors and for the family that this somehow could not go their way because you never know what a jury is going to do. And I know that the Woodcocks, they were in the courtroom as the verdict was being read. Kay told me that it, after the first guilty, she breathed a little more. But it was after number three, Vinny, that they finally felt what I had felt for weeks, which was that this is all, this is it. We got what we wanted, just assert. Let's take a listen to um, Larry Woodcock. Again, this is JJ's grandfather, Kay's husband. Um, this is what he said after that verdict outside of the courthouse. For one time in my life, I'm, I'm kind of lost at words, <laughs> believe that or not. Look, first of all, I want to thank 18 jurors. I cannot thank them enough. I'm sure everybody has paid attention in court. Speak it, get in here closer. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sure everyone has paid attention in court. I want to personally thank and I want to personally hug every one of those jurors. What they went through, what they saw, is mind-boggling. I hope that nobody ever has to go through this. I hope nobody ever has to see and hear the details of what happened to JJ, to Tylee, and to Tammy. Guys, we got two more trials. Two more. Three. Charles, Chad, and uh, Brandon. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Charles. Well, Charles okay. Charles is in Arizona. Yeah. Brandon is in Arizona. The, the, next, the next trial is Chad. I look forward to being back in this courthouse again if that happens. I hope everybody is here again. I hope that. Y'all appreciate so much the court system, how meticulous, how meticulous the, the prosecution was. I think everybody will, will agree it was, it was amazing job by all of them. And I want y'all to know 
that even the defense, I shook their hands. I, I have said many times, I want a fair, honest, and righteous decision. I think we had 18 jurors that all deserve our appreciation, our love, and they gave an honest, fair, and righteous verdict. So the amazing thing about Larry Woodcock and Kay is how gracious uh, they've been and, and thankful in what really was an extremely painful process for them. But Chandler, as we go back, this case doesn't happen unless Kay and, and, and Larry make that initial call to police looking for their grandson. Exactly. But for Kay Woodcock calling uh, the police department for her concern, she hadn't spoken to J.J. Vallow in months. And the last couple of times they were able to get him on FaceTime, he wasn't acting normally. Someone grabbed the iPad or whatever it was and hung up uh, abruptly. It concerned them. Thankfully, Vinny, they paid attention to the red flags. They loved their grandson enough to call police and start this ball rolling. And those poor police officers had no idea what was coming, Vinny. No, that was just the beginning of all of this. And they're from Louisiana and all this stuff is taking place, you know, across the country. And it's, you know, it's difficult enough. You try to keep that relationship with your grandchild, but then when something goes wrong and you are so far away, um, I could see you feel helpless and powerless, but um, because they're such amazing people, I, I think that law enforcement really kind of went the extra mile with them. I, I really feel that there was like this, this mutual respect and just the way they are that made everyone say, well, wait a minute, these, the, you know, we've, we've got to do the job here, folks. We've got to do the job. That's just the feeling I got. I don't, I don't know yeah. what your thoughts on that. Absolutely. I mean, you can't meet Kay and Larry in person and not feel that passion and love that they have for not just JJ, but also Tylee and Charles Vallow, the brother of Kay Woodcock, who was also allegedly murdered by Alex Cox and Lori Vallow Daybell. So you can feel that passion. I'm sure the officers initially felt that as well. And as we think back at the time that welfare check was called, though, remember Brandon Boudreaux's shooting had happened. So it was already sort of on the radar. Chad and Lori were already on the radar of Rexburg police at the time that welfare check was called in. So that helped the authorities kind of quickly put the pieces together that there's a lot more here than just a missing child. Yeah. And I want to take a moment to say that the investigators in this case, amazing, amazing. They uncovered everything and it doesn't happen all the time. I'll go back to it. It was my fear from the beginning of this trial that we could have a result like we did years ago down in Orange County, Florida. And in that case, investigators did not get it done. They, there, there was incriminating evidence on a second search engine that they didn't search. There was an investigator who showed up shortly after uh, little Kaylee went missing, who didn't go into the woods to find that child's remains. And instead, everything, uh, all the evidence disappeared as she stayed out there for months. So it, it's not a given that investigators will get the job done 
and find all the evidence, what they did in this case. Absolutely amazing. So this is what I want to do, folks. We're going to take a, a, a quick break. When we come back, Chanley sat down and spoke with Kay and Larry Woodcock, who, as we said, they're the reason all of this started, this investigation. And to me, they're the heart of this case. And to really understand what this is all about, you've got to hear Chanley uh, speak with Kay and Larry Woodcock. We've got that when we come back. It was a huge it's, relief. It's, uh, it was, and hearing the each guilty, the, as they said, each guilty. Yeah. Uh, uh, after the first one, I was like, oh, I can, I could breathe just a little bit, and then the second one, then the third one, and by the third one, I was like, okay, we got this. Yeah. So I knew they were going to keep coming, and they kept coming until all six of them were guilty, and um, six guilties, and it was elation for a second and then there's still the sadness there but it's just another major step forward to uh obtaining closure i guess i don't quite don't know i don't quite know what closure is at this point no, but um it's it's a huge hurdle having her found guilty I understand exactly what she's saying because I've spoken to so many victims. Um, that elation when you hear the guilty verdicts. And there's almost a moment where someone feels a sense of, of guilt for feeling elation, but they, they shouldn't because I always look at the alternative. The alternative is the jury comes back and says not guilty. That means, number one, um, no one is being held responsible for the murder. And number two, when a jury says not guilty, that means the case is still has not been solved, right? Like you, you don't have the answers as to what happened. So they're entitled to feel that elation. That's Kay and Larry Woodcock. It was their grandson, J.J. Vallow, murdered by their mother, um, along with his sister and the wife of her fifth husband. Chanley Painter, who did that interview, is still with us, Court TV legal correspondent. Um, am, am, I, am I getting that right, the, the sense of they almost felt like a little bit of guilt in feeling the elation, but they're absolutely entitled to feel that relief? Absolutely, Vinny. You know, this is the first time that Court TV has been able to sit down in person with Kay and Larry Woodcock, and you can see sense from them the relief of this verdict, but they're still having to spend every day without seven-year-old J.J. Vallow. And what was so special, Vinny, about this interview with the Woodcocks is that we met on what would have been J.J.'s 11th birthday uh, that day, and they were going to celebrate with chocolate cookies, his favorite. So we talked a lot about J.J., of course, who he would have been today and how they're going to memorialize his life as well uh, once they do kind of see the end of the tunnel here. There's still a lot more to come for the Woodcocks. They're in this for the long haul. They're going to be at every hearing, every sentencing, Chad's trials, the Arizona trials to come, Vinny. So a lot more for them. Uh, but what a blessing it is for the victims in this case to have the advocates of the Woodcocks there every step of the way. You know, all, all of these stories, and I, I say this to victims all the time, and, and, you know, when you have that unsolved case where you don't know what happened here, it began as a missing child. I get it that the, the media, we can be annoying, we can be sometimes cold, 
Um, some people don't have that, that don't have a way of speaking with victims. It's just like they're doing their job, getting a story. But at the end of the day, the more they speak and the more they interact, it keeps the story alive, which keeps the search alive, which keeps the pressure on. It keeps the pressure on investigators, but also keeps pressures uh, pressure on um, the wrongdoers, the, the the people who've who've committed these crimes. It keeps pressure on them, knowing that people are not going to forget. They're not going to go away, and they forged Kay and Larry uh, really an amazing relationship, not just with investigators, but with the media as well. Yes, absolutely. They're not going to be quiet. They told me they're going to be out there talking as much as they can. And like you said, in the courtroom, as much as they can, they wanted Lori to see them every day sitting there in the gallery. They wanted to make eye contact with her. Vinny Kay told me she was on the witness stand, the state's first witness. She would purposefully try to look over, try to make eye contact with Lori, and Lori would never look at her. Uh, and that's how determined they are to show uh, what happened to the world. And they're going to continue fighting, of course, as this unfolds. So different than her first appearance in court um, in, in, in the mainland when she walked past uh, Larry and mm-hmm. Kay and kind of smirked at him like she was in charge. Not in charge. She's not. Uh, let's take a listen to more of that interview. What mother would chop her own daughter up, put her in a bag. She confessed. I think she confessed with she what confessed she told Audrey that what day. what she told Audrey. Yeah, she was very aware of what happened to yeah. him, and that was in November of 2019. She knew exactly. Yeah. I didn't think, it for some, in the back of my mind, I always thought, well, Lori didn't, what, didn't do it. She didn't actively do the murder either of the kids, but after what she told uh, Audrey, Audrey yep. I the more I've thought about it, it's like she it took two people, I know, to take Tylee down. It took two people to take JJ down. So it took two people to take Tammy do, down. Right. But I don't I think that was Alex and Chad for that. Mm-hmm. But I do believe Lori was there for JJ's murder i think she was hands-on literally and uh tylee too i think she was hands-on literally wow and I, and i think some of the evidence corroborates that to a certain extent like locations and where people are based on cell phone data etc and uh Lori's beautiful blonde hair stuck to duct tape on her seven-year-old son's dead body and that moment when the Woodcocks told me they believe Lori physically took part. Prosecutors didn't allege that here, right, Vinny? Uh, they just said she was a principal encouraging these murders, this conspiracy. But the Woodcocks say, no, they believe she had her hands on her children, possibly the one that duct taped her son's mouth closed before he was murdered. Uh, it just sent chills down my spine as the Woodcocks, you know, un- said that and of course many they they plan no forgiveness no no intent to uh to ever uh forgive lori for what she did i couldn't imagine this is this is the worst i said this this is the worst of the worst because it's about um a child like jj inherently loves trusts and looks to his parents for everything while his father was dead 
murdered by his uncle and his mother. Um, so he's looking towards his mom for everything. And that trust just is shattered, shattered. To me, these cases are worse than the stranger abductions. And they're both, they're both horrific, right? They're both, but, but here to me, there's an added sense of vulnerability for the child because the child will trust and love their parent for everything. And breaking that trust along with everything else to me is an aggravating factor, which should have put her uh, on death row for this case. But because of the prosecutor's mistakes, that did not become a possibility here. Um, the chopping up of, of Tylee, was it clear from the trial where and when that happened? It wasn't clear where and when that happened. And the Woodcocks referred to Audrey Baratario's testimony that she claimed Lori threatened her when she tried to end the friendship in November 2019, again, after the kids had been murdered and buried in Chad's backyard. And Lori says, you know, I can murder you, chop you up. It's going to be bloody. There's going to be trash bags involved. And to the Woodcocks, that was a confession that Lori knew exactly what it took to chop up a body. It was going to be bloody. Uh, and of course, we know Tylee was also burned. We, not, we know that there were some of her remains in that fire pit on Chad Daybull's property, but prosecutors left open the possibility that they could have also tried to to burn her wherever she actually was chopped up. And I hate even like talking about that that many. It's awful. But it's the worst of the worst that we're talking about here, which again comes back to worst of the worst. That's what we have the death penalty for. But the but it got taken off the table before the trial started. Let's listen to more of Kay Woodcock here describing Lori. She's a psychopath. That's what they do. I, I, I find myself these days meeting people and I'm like, I wonder if they're a psychopath. They seem very nice, but so did Lori. And I second guess people I meet because I, it's, would I see it if I met someone again? Would I see that in them? I, I don't know because I just never saw it in her. But the depths of what she went to um, were, were, she went deep into that. That's something I didn't think about right now. Anyone she meets, do I really know this person? Wow. Well, I, you know what? I've never heard that from, from a victim before, but that is, that is, you look at the impact that these cases have. And now that you, you don't trust anyone, anyone could be a psychopath because she trusted Lori, right? She, I mean, she encouraged them to adopt JJ. The person you would least expect, imagine that person in your life, whoever that is, least expect to do that. That's a betrayal beyond anything that you can really imagine unless you're the Woodcocks in that situation. And now that she has to think like that um, is awful uh, to, to, to know that someone you entrusted your loved one, um, your grandchild with as the mother, the adopted mother to take care of. Uh, turns and does all that on you. Uh, it's unfathomable. This is the thing about Lori Daybell is that I guess no one really knew her, but all the stuff that came out during trial, I felt like by the end of the trial, we did get to know her. And again, it comes back to everything that was uncovered by investigators, whether it's recordings and the, the testimony and the emails and everything else, you put it together. And this is someone who is scary, cold, 
scary, selfish manipulator. Now I'm sounding like the prosecutor, right? Well, <laughs> well the prosecutor was right. Okay. Um, here's Kay talking about the murder of her brother, Charles, JJ's dad. Do you think Charles's murder was more about the money than these religious beliefs? It absolutely was oh, about absolutely. the money. If, if, <laughs> absolutely. <it was. laughs> absolutely. There's no doubt. Mm-hmm. It was all about that. Right. I don't know. I, I think he would have, I think regardless of Chad being in the picture mm-hmm. or not, he would have been dead. I think right. she would have murdered him anyway because she wanted that money. Absolutely. She wanted a million dollars. A million dollars is a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money. On the one hand, it's, it's a lot of money, right? But on the other hand, um, what you have to do to think that I'm going to get my hands on a million dollars, I just have to get my brother to shoot and kill my husband? This is sick stuff. And, th- and, and, and they thought the world was going to end. They thought the world was going to end in a few months. It could sustain you. It's a lot of money for a few months. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I- <laughs> it is it is warped. When you get inside the world of Lori Daybell, it's a warped place. So looking at the, the murder of, of Charles, at the time of that murder, why wasn't anyone arrested? Why? It seemed like, I, d- I don't get it. Like you shoot and kill someone and then everyone just goes on their way. And I get he was claiming self-defense, but... The wife is like smiling and giggling outside. Like, why was no one arrested? Right, Vinny. And he shot twice the second time he's on the ground. Doesn't really jive with self-defense or maybe gives you a a red flag that we need to investigate this a little bit more. Uh, But they didn't do that. And looking back, you know, there were Arizona detectives who testified in Lori's trial as part of, you know, the prior uh, bad act, um, common scheme or plan evidence, as we know. But uh, Ian, again, acknowledged that they had these suspicions right then at the time. They didn't quite believe Alex Cox. So that is a lingering question that still frustrates the Woodcocks as well, that if they would have possibly you know, arrested someone at that time or done their job back then, they could have saved the children uh, from their fates as we know it. Absolutely, because Charles is the, is the first one to go. He's out of the way, and then she grabs the kids and leaves Arizona, runs up to Idaho to be near um, the man she's having an affair with, the married man she's having an affair with. Would have saved uh, potentially three lives, right? Tammy's life and and then the children. Because if something had happened there, because Alex Cox, her brother, was the hitman. He's the one who's, who's you know, he may have had help in, in, in all the murders, but he's clearly got his hands all over it. This guy was crazy. He was a, a bit of a simpleton, and he was infatuated with his sister, Lori. I'm surprised Chad didn't feel threatened by Alex, that perhaps, um, you know, Alex would end up going after him because he was sleeping with the woman that he wanted to sleep with, which was his sister. Yeah, it's sick and twisted. And, you know, Woodcox and a lot of other people believe that Chad and Lori also did away with Alex Cox. It, we we did see evidence during the trial that it was as if they dismissed him. They had accomplished what they wanted from him. He'd murdered everyone for them. They were off in Hawaii, ignoring his phone calls and text messages. He told his new wife, Sulema, I think I'm the fall guy for them. 
And then he suspiciously lost his life or died, they say, of natural causes. But the day after Tammy Daybell's bodies exhumed and Chad had given him a blessing. Come on. It, it, yeah, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. And again, I always refer to the health episode on the toilet. Like, come on, he's a young guy. All these young... All these people are dying prematurely and we're saying, eh, natural causes, nothing to see here, nothing to see here, nothing to see here. But if they've already murdered three people, yeah, there is something to look at. There absolutely is something to look at. So um, things are not over for Lori Vallow Daybell. Things are not over for Chad Daybell. When we come back, Chanley's going to um, give us a peek at what is still to come because there are, again, so many layers to this. This was step one. You've got the convictions on Lori Daybell, but how about Chad and how about the other people who are dead? So as we were covering this story, this doomsday cult story, we were getting information from different places. We were getting information from uh, Utah and Idaho and Arizona and Hawaii and trying to put all the pieces together. And there were these strange things that were happening all around. One of them involved a guy named Brandon Boudreaux, who was married to Lori's niece, Melanie good-looking young couple with three young children. I mean, if you, if you took a picture of them and put them up there, you say, wow, what a, what, a, what a great family. What a great life they should have together. But something happened, and, and something happened to Brandon. Someone tried to kill him. Someone tried to murder Brandon Boudreaux. And he testified about that during Lori's trial because it's all, it's all connected, folks. It absolutely is all connected. There are no coincidences in, in, in this whole saga. But again, Melanie, his wife, is the niece of Lori and very close to Lori, almost looked to Lori as, as, her, as her mother because Melanie's mother uh, died, was no longer alive. So let's listen to Brandon Boudreaux now testifying about the attempt on his life. Okay. Um, so you're heading home that morning and you turn on the street. What happens next? Um, as I came around the corner, um, I noticed there was a Jeep parked right in front of my driveway. Um, my driveway would have been um, like this and the Jeep was just parked right directly in front of it. Um, and uh, as I as I was starting to drive towards it, and I would have had to make a left hand turn into it, I um, I noticed a few things that stood out to me. The first was that it. But was, what were the things that you noticed? Oh yeah, um, I noticed that it was parked really closely, um, almost touching the the van that had been parked there the previous several days. Um, it had a Texas license plate, and. Uh, the Jeep, it was a Jeep Wrangler and Wranglers have a, a, um, a tire on the back of them. And there was no tire on this one. Instead, the window was kind of hanging, uh, open, but like the, the little tab things were like sitting on the outside of it. Okay. Um, so you, you see those things about the Jeep. What happens next? Um, as, as I drove forward, the window came up and I saw a, a gun with what looked like a silencer. Um, heard a bang and 
my driver's side window shattered. Um, and so my natural re- reaction, instead of turning left into my driveway, um, I, I drove an electric car, so it was very instant, but I just pushed the gas and it just shot me forward. Scary. Would have been the second victim in all of this. Uh, but he survived because Alex Cox is, is not a great shot. He attempted to shoot Tammy Daybell as well, unsuccessfully, but then uh, they killed her while she was sleeping um, somewhere in the house, somehow. Uh, Chanley Painter, Court TV legal correspondent, still with me. So let's, Brandon Boudreaux now, this all took place in Arizona, this attempt on his life, and now Lori's implicated in this? That's right. Uh, Maricopa County just actually released a grand jury indictment. It was handed down in 2022, Vinny, uh, or signed February 2022, but they just now made it public for Lori involved in a conspiracy, of course, with Alex Cox for the murder of Brandon Boudreaux. So that makes now she faces two uh, potential trials, one for Charles Vallow, her fourth husband, who was shot by Alex Cox, and Brandon Boudreaux, this conspiracy a case for the attempt on his life. How about Melanie Boudreaux? Mm. She was on the witness list. There was a lot of anticipation that she would be called, that she would testify very close to Lori. Yeah. Um, but she's she doesn't testify and she's not implicated in anything as well. And she's part of this inner circle. What what do we know about Melanie Boudreaux? And is there any indication on a motive for why Brandon would be on this hit list? Yeah, why she wasn't called, I, I scratched my head on that. And maybe the prosecutors didn't think they needed her, but she was at the courthouse, Vinny. I saw her with my own eyes uh, walking in with her new husband, who who did testify, Ian Pulowski, uh, to meet with prosecutors. But she wasn't called as a witness. And a lot of people speculate. And we learned some very revealing testimony and text messages that she knew a lot more than what we realized uh, she knew that was going on behind the scenes with her aunt Lori and Chad and she was a dedicated follower called Chad father uh, as this leader of this cult and relied made her daily decisions based on what Chad and Lori told her to do that's how ingrained she was in this group so I I would have loved to have heard from her during this trial. But I also know, and we know from court hearings over the years, that a lot of these followers, these witnesses, and some that did testify, had this immunity agreement and with prosecutors in exchange for their cooperation uh, to, to, to testify and to be witnesses against Lori and Chad. My guess is the motivation is probably the same for taking out Brandon Boudreaux. My guess is he, he strikes me as a responsible guy. He's got three young kids. He's probably got a uh, a, a nice size life insurance policy. I'm, I'm sure. He, oh, he did. I'm sure he did. I mean, a responsible parent does that uh, with three young kids. So it was probably Lori and Alex trying to take him out. Melanie gets the money and then they get the money from Melanie. It was exactly right. We heard testimony to that account. He had a sizable life insurance policy on himself. And we saw t- text messages uh, Lori sent uh, about using um, it was to, to another follower about how her niece Melanie has this money coming to her with the divorce and possible life insurance to help pay and fund again Lori's lifestyle and the preparing for the end of the times wow and by the way if he if, if that had been a successful murder of Brandon Boudreaux three more kids at risk three more kids at risk right there yes wow yes Okay, let's talk about uh, uh, Chad Daybell. This is from a uh, recent hearing. Let's take a listen. 
We were just trying to determine if a May date would work for the state. It sounds like at least one of the prosecutors does have an event towards the end of May that would not be able to be rescheduled and has been set for some time. I don't know if there's a way that we could consider starting in June as opposed to May uh, to avoid that potential issue as the court is considering May. We may not agree on everything or anything, quite frankly, but in terms of trying to process some of the exhibits and everything else, it may be wise to do June so that we go and we start and, and with all respect to Mr. Archibald and the other parties in this case, uh, it might be slightly cleaner if we do it starting in June. June, not of this year, though. Not this year. And it's not for sure yet. The judge still hasn't determined the for sure trial date. Death penalty still on the table for Chad Daybell. And it would be you know a longer trial than he has when it does actually happen. If it does happen, the Woodcocks seem to think that uh, given everything we've heard against Lori, that maybe Chad would entertain some sort of a plea. But I don't know if that's going to happen. To spare, to spare his life, right. which he shouldn't worry about if the end of times are coming anyway. I don't know. Um, so let's talk about the trial. If it happens, what, what does this trial look like? And especially for prosecutors, because at Lori's trial, they're saying she's the manipulator. Yes. So that almost plays into the defense's hand. Vinny, I hope this trial happens. It's going to be a different trial than what we did see against Lori. John Pryor at the helm for Chad Daybell, he's going to put up a vociferous defense. As we've seen him in pretrial hearings, he does not mince words. And he even said at that hearing, we just played this, a clip of, that he has seven to eight experts. He intends to call on his client's behalf. So unlike Lori, who whose defense didn't put on witnesses and relied on reasonable doubt, it seems as though Chad would mount a sizable defense. Yeah. John Pryor, when he's in a courtroom, he's he's controlling everything, you know, and, and not, mm -hmm. not like in a manipulation kind of way. It's just like he's super smart. He's he's experienced. He's very aggressive, very confident and uh, just has a certain way in that courtroom. We shall see. That is going to be a battle of battles. So we still have a lot ahead in all of this. Lori's got two trials in Arizona. Chad's got a trial in Idaho. Um, and, and we'll see where it goes from there. And, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's amazing how all of this unraveled, how they thought they could get away with it. I mean, at the end of the day, they I think they really thought, Chad and Lori, that they could hang out in Hawaii and just spend all the money that they got from the death of Tammy and live at their resort and 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 hang out and think no one's going to bother them like no one's going no one's eh, no one's going to pay attention no one's going to bother us no one's going to care about the missing kids we'll just say they're safe and happy they'll trust us that body cam at the pool at this luxurious hawaiian resort when they just accost Lori and chad in their bikini and swim trunks hanging out by the poolside not expecting to see the police with the subpoena telling her to produce her children. Uh, that, I think, spoke volumes to this jury of just weeks after what happened, that they felt they could get away with it. And she will answer July 31st uh, for those murders in her sentencing and will likely spend you know, the rest of her life uh, behind bars thinking about it. Yeah, I think she I think she got lucky. She got lucky by the prosecution mistake that cost them the ability to seek the death penalty, uh, the judge making the ruling. And at the end of the day, I, I, I don't know how anyone gets to where she is, but I think I just have to agree with Kay Woodcock that she is some sort of psychopath. 
some sort of psychopath. And, and the more you try to understand it, um, you can't because you, a, a psychopath doesn't make sense. They don't think the way we do. Um, they don't see the world the way normal people see the world. Because anytime I talk about this case with people, they're always like, I don't, how could someone do that? How could someone do that? And it's not someone like you and I, it's not someone like the folks listening at, at, at home. It's, it's a, a psychopath, a sociopath, someone who is just wired differently and will never be able to get a, a real explanation for it. And really, Vinny, that's what the Woodcocks told me when I asked them, what are you planning to tell Lori at sentencing? You can get up there. You can speak directly to her. And Larry told me, Vinny, the same thing you just said. We can say whatever we want. It's not going to resonate. She doesn't think like us. She doesn't get it. Uh, so they're even thinking, well, it's not worth it because she is a psychopath. That's not going to make a difference to her. She thinks what she did was okay. Uh, so we'll see what they decide to do. But uh, that's their thinking as well. Yeah, I think they'll spend a lot of time letting us get to know JJ even better. And I think that'll be important. Yes. Chanley Painter doing amazing, amazing work for years on this story. And it's still not over. It's still not over. And I'm sure we have plenty of podcasts ahead and trials on Court TV. Chanley, thanks so much. Thanks, Benny. All right, folks. That is the end of this week's Court TV podcast. Uh, of course, uh, you can watch me every night from 8 to 10 on Court TV, Monday through Friday, live show, taking a look at all the big uh, true crime stories and trials across the nation. And then I have my new show, Accomplice to Murder, which is more documentary types uh, of stuff. That's Sunday nights, also at 8 o'clock. Sunday nights at 8 o'clock, Accomplice to Murder, where we take a look at um, cases, but through a different sort of filter, focusing on the accomplice, not the main actor in the case, and figure out how someone gets wrapped up and put in the middle of a murder case where they have absolutely no reason to kill anyone. Thanks so much for listening, um, and please watch, and we will see you next time. I'm Vinny Politan. Have a great week, and as always, please don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area. Everyday people caught up in a plan to commit murder. Did you kill your mother? Yes, I did. The ultimate betrayals, friends and family turning on each other. Spell was broken when the handcuffs went click. But just who is the puppet and who's pulling the strings? Accomplice to Murder with Vinny Politan. All new episode, Sunday night, 8, 7 central. Only on Court TV.